go ahead and do this this evening. Let's dive right into our Bible study tonight, going back to the book of Galatians, all right? Galatians chapter 5 is where we will be, and we've been in this chapter for several Wednesdays now, and especially around this subject of combating, combating the hindrances that we face in our life. If you remember, if you remember, sometime back we came across this phrase in chapter number 5, and verse number 7, when Paul was um, uh, writing to the Galatians, and when he said this in verse number 7, you did run well, who did hinder you? So that was kind of letting us know they were being hindered in their race. They were being hindered in their running the Christian race, living the Christian life. And we know as believers there are several hindrances that we come in contact with, that we face even on a daily basis. Uh, of course, we know the devil and his tactics and his wiles. He always wants to trip us up and cause us to stumble, always wants to hinder us in our race. Remember that hindrance is like someone jumping out, you're running a race or whatever, somebody jumps out and tries to stop you, slow you down. That's the picture of the hindrance, right, or the hinderer. Uh, of course, we know the devil wants to do that. We know the world wants to do that. Our flesh, of course, wants to hinder our race. But as we considered in context of Galatians chapter 5, the hindrances that uh, the Galatians were facing were these. They were facing the hindrance of disobedience to truth, the hindrance of false doctrine, the hindrance of division, and the hindrance of devouring one another. And they were being hindered in their Christian life, in their Christian race. And as we considered this, it would seem all of that was uh, going on, kind of taking place in the life of the Galatians. But uh, as we continue reading on in Galatians 5, we found out that Paul gave them some ammunition, if you will. He gave them some encouragement of how to combat those hindrances that they do and will face. He gave them some, some hinders to the hindrances. That doesn't even make sense, but you know what I'm getting at, right? Uh, he told them what to do as they face these things. And as we look at them, we can take these uh, things he told them to combat with, we can take them and apply them to our life as well. Because, listen, we, we face them, do we not? Does anybody ever face hindrances in your life at all? In, in running the race with the Lord, walking with God? Anybody ever face hindrances? Of course we do. Absolutely. Every believer faces hindrances. But Paul gives us ammo to put in our, put in our armory to be able to face these hindrances and have victory in them. And the first thing we saw as we considered this was this, serving one another. Uh, that's how we can combat the hindrances, especially the hindrance of division uh, especially the hindrance of devouring one another. If you begin to serve one another, you will not bite one another. You will not devour one another. You will not be divided one against another. No, you will be united. You will be kind. You will be uh, effectually love one toward another as the scripture teaches us. But that comes when? As we serve one another willingly and lovingly, just as Jesus came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Mark 10 and verse 45. So be like Jesus and serve one another. And then, we, then we've been stuck on this one as of recent. Another way to combat the hindrances, and it's this one. This is the main one. This is the main way to combat the hindrances that we face in our Christian life, and it's this one, number two, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. By walking in the Spirit, we're going to be more like Jesus than you ever imagined. Because listen, the Holy Spirit will make you be more. Like, like the Lord. But as we began to consider this point of walking in the Spirit, there were several takeaways that we took and can see at least. 
and they're found in our text. Let's look at it, Galatians chapter 5 and verse number 16. We'll read down through verse number 26, all right? But the Bible says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such, uh, such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 22. But... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one, one another. And as we consider these verses and consider walking in the Spirit, there are a few takeaways we took from this. And the first one was this. This is all by recap, by the way. But the first one we, we took from this is, is this takeaway. As we see the phrase here, walking in the Spirit, listen, this was not a suggestion that uh, Paul was giving to the Galatian believers. This was not a, uh, a, a, a for vote. This was not something they needed to vote on as a church. No, no. This is a command that Paul was giving to the Galatian believers then. And listen, as we read it today, as believers in the 21st century, it's a command given to us as well. To walk in the Spirit. And this walk in the Spirit, this word walk here, it means more than just an action of motion. More than just movement forward. It's more than just one step in front of the other. For this word it has, a, has more to do with how we conduct ourselves. Now, this has more to do with how we behave ourselves. Listen, this word to walk, it means how to live. That's what it means, how to live. And as believers, we're to live our lives by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, live our lives being led by the Holy Spirit. And this life is led through the Word of God by prayer, through the Holy Spirit. Because listen, the Holy Spirit will never lead you to live outside what the Bible teaches, never. So how do we walk in the Spirit? You've got to be in the Word of God. That's how you walk in the Spirit. All right? So, but it's a command. The Spirit, to walk in the Spirit for the believer is not a suggestion. It's a command. And then we saw uh, last time, uh, not last Wednesday I was sick, but the Wednesday before, we saw this when it came to walking in the Spirit. Not only was it a command, it is also we see a conflict. And that's found in verse number 16 and 17. I have no doubt that every Genuine believer wants to be spirit-filled and spirit-led. They desire to do what is, what is right. They desire to live a life as pleasing unto God. Uh, would every believer here have that desire, yes or no? Yes, one, two, three, four, five, six of you. Okay, I think it was. But yes, absolutely. Uh, we all do. We all do. We all want to have a life that's surely pleasing to the Lord that would bring a smile to the Lord, but... Anybody ever find that um, to be hard sometimes? <laughs> I find it to be hard a lot, pretty much every day. Why? Because, well, there's a conflict. 
Why is it so hard? Why is it such a struggle? Why do we trip up from time to time? Why do we just flat out fall on our faces? Well, it's because there's a conflict raging on the inside, a conflict between the sinful nature in which we were born and a conflict between that and the Holy Spirit by which we're born again by. There's a conflict there. Every born-again believer has a battle raging on the inside between the flesh and the spirit. And even, even Paul, who we would consider the greatest Christian or greatest preacher, the man who penned most of the New Testament, listen, even he himself talked about his struggle with that very thing, the spirit and the flesh in Romans chapter 7. We all have a struggle, struggle with it. But be reminded... The one that wins in the end between the spirit and the flesh, the one that will win in those conflicts and in those battles is the one you feed the most. It's the one you feed. If we are carnal, if we are fleshly, led by the flesh, if we do those things that feed that sinful nature, then that's what's going to win that conflict. But if we feed our spirit, meaning if we are in the word of God, we read it, we study it, we obey it, if we spend time with God in prayer, if we commune with our Savior, if we, if we come to church faithfully, we get around believers, like-minded believers, who edify one another, who will admonish one another, guess what's going to be happening? You're feeding that spiritual side of that conflict, and that's what will win. That's what will win. I can't emphasize enough the great importance of the Word of God and spending time with God and being with other believers and encouraging, edifying one another, even so much the more you see the day approaching. I can't emphasize that enough. Why? Because there's a conflict we all have. But which one you feed the most is going to win that conflict. So, walk in the Spirit. We see it's a command. Walk in the Spirit. We see that there is a conflict and then walk in the Spirit. We'll see this, number three. Here's where we're going to spend the rest of time tonight. We see the crop of it or fruit yes my baptist preacher everything's got to be alliterated all right but the crop of it the crop of of walking in the spirit or not because we see two crops here we see the fruit or crop of the flesh and we see the crop or the fruit of the spirit as well but the first one i want to consider tonight is this one the fruit or the crop of the flesh and just so you know the fruit of the flesh, the acts of the flesh, the fruit of our flesh is some nasty, stinking, ugly, listen, deadly fruit. There is. Let me ask you a quick question before we read these verses. Let me ask you real quick. Does anybody here ever shop, go to a grocery store? Anybody go to a grocery store ever? Absolutely. Say, yes, I am a saved Baptist. Of course I'm going to go get food. Amen. All right. Well, when you go shopping at the grocery store, do you ever go and get fruit? Anybody? I like fruit. Um, what's your favorite fruit? On the count of three, you tell me. One, two, three. Strawberries. Absolutely. I'm glad you agree with me. All right. I like strawberries. Okay. Uh, bananas are pretty good. Uh, pineapple's pretty great as long as it's fresh. Uh, I, like, I like fruit. Strawberry is my favorite. But uh, do you ever go when you're shopping for fruit at the grocery store, you ever go over, pick up a container of strawberries, and you flip them over, and on the back side of the container, there's strawberries, but, you know, they're a little squishy, a little uh, rotten, maybe got some of that white fuzz 
on them. They're just bad berries, you know. Everybody ever find a carton like that? You say, yeah, Aldi, just a little bit ago. I hear you. But anyway, uh, but you find those every now and then in a carton of, of strawberries like that. Do you ever look at those strawberries and go, man, look at those berries. Look how nasty they are. Look how disgusting they look. Just ugly. <laughs> Don't they just look delicious? Anybody ever do that? Okay, just making sure nobody's too weird in here, okay? But uh, no, I don't ever look at rotten, nasty strawberries and say, oh, man, it looks so good. Actually, when I look at rotten fruit, it kind of gives me a dis- disgust. You can probably see it on my face, but it's just nasty. And, of course, I'm going to put them back and try to find one that's not as bad or hopefully I have any bad rotten fruit in it. But listen, it's that kind of rotten fruit that the flesh can produce. It's disgusting, it's rotten, it's nasty, it's ugly, it's horrendous. And it should disgust all of us. And yet people, when this fruit shows up in their life, they do not treat it as disgusting. They do not treat it as rotten. They do not treat it as nasty. Even believers do not treat it as such. Maybe they treat it as such in somebody else's life, but... Not in our own. But listen, if we walk in the flesh, that's the kind of fruit you are going to produce. And what is that kind of fruit? Well, we see a host of them in verses 19 through 21. So let's look at it together, all right? Again, the Bible says this, Now the works of the flesh, the fruit of the flesh, works of the flesh are manifest. Here it is. Which are these? Adultery. Fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. There's so many nasty fruit that the flesh can produce. Paul just simply had to put at the very end of it, and such like. Like, there's a bunch of others too, but it takes us all day long, all night long to write about them, just to list them. There's so much nasty fruit here. And Paul said they are manifest. The person is walking in the flesh, that fruit is manifest, meaning plainly recognized, clearly seen. Clearly seen. That's what it means there. But as you look at these fruits of the flesh here, there's uh, categories, if you will, or really uh, just kind of broken up into groups. And it helps me to see it a little clearer, and I hope it helps you. All right, so let's look at it together. What are some of the fruit of the flesh that Paul is talking about? All right. The first category that we see or group of fruit that we see here, cluster of fruit. Let's, let's, let's stick with that analogy. All right. But the cluster of fruit is this type, sensual fruit. Sensual fruit. And it's found in verse number 19. The works of the flesh are manifest, clearly seen. Which are these? Here they are. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Let's let's define some of these words real quick, all right? The first one we come across is adultery. Now, we know what this is. We know this sin is simply an extramarital affair. And we know this is a result of a spouse, of a man or a woman who would be walking in their flesh, who's not led, who's not led by the Spirit at all, but is led by the lusts of their own flesh, led by their carnal nature, and not by God whatsoever, and they would commit such an act, a fleshly act, as adultery. And listen, adultery, 
There have been many marriages and homes destroyed by this very fleshly, foolish sin. It's deadly. It's destructive. It's very damaging and hurtful. But you know a foolproof way to not do that? Verse 16. This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You walk in the Spirit, I promise you, this will not be a fruit you produce. But walk in the flesh. Time and time and time and time again, this will show eventually. What else do we see here? Well, adultery. We know what that is. The next word is fornication. Now, the Greek word for fornication is pornea. And, of course, as we hear the Greek word pornea, it would be, uh, sound familiar because it's associated with our English word porn. And for most, as soon as I said that word porn, most already have some understanding of just how vile this word fornication here would be. Uh, but the word fornication is a word, a broad term used for any and all types of sexual immorality. And it again is the work of what? Not of God, not of the spirit, of the flesh. Another rotten, nasty, vile fruit that's in this cluster of sensuality. Then we see this one, uncleanness. Now, this word means here just that, something that's unclean, something that is filthy. But this word implies more than just an outward dirtiness, right? Uh, not just looking at the fruit uh, carton of strawberries on the outside of it. You see it's got that white fuzz on it or something nasty. It's not just the outside is, is unclean or un, is, is dirty. It goes deeper than that. You see, uncleanness or filthiness doesn't start on the outside and go inward. Rather, uncleanness starts on the inside and comes out. So it's the filthiness of the mind. It's the filthiness of the heart. And that leaks out, makes manifest, known in our actions. You see, a person cannot fill their life, fill their mind, fill their heart with filth or immorality, with dirtiness, whatever, whether it be dirty shows, movies, literature, whatever. You fill in the blank there. You cannot fill your mind and life with that and expect your heart to be pure and clean on the inside. That's not how it works whatsoever. You can't do it. Never will it work that way. So it does matter. Understand it does matter. What we allow in our eyes, for our eyes to see and our ears to hear, it does matter. It does. Because it affects your heart. Again, what I said earlier in Lamentations chapter 3, he said, my eye affecteth my heart. What we see has an effect. It does. I'm telling you. It does. I've counseled with people who have seen things with their eyes and, and whether, uh, especially going back to uh, when it's, the, the pornea, the porn, things like that. It's so destructive and so vile. I've counseled with people on this matter. And uh, that I've heard people say this. Well, I can see things and it won't bother me. That's a lie. <laughs> it's not true. It does. It does matter because it can affect you. So this word uncleanness here, it has more to do than just on the outside. No, it goes much deeper than that to the inside. And then we see the next word here. In the same cluster, Essentiality 
is lasciviousness. Now, what in the world is lasciviousness? That's just a crazy King James word here. Uh, but it's not one we use a lot today. But listen, it's closely related to this word that you know, uh, debauchery. Uh, who is more familiar with that word debauchery than you are lasciviousness? Okay, a few of you. Uh, we are. More, 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 uh, know more about debauchery than we would lasciviousness. But it means this. Lasciviousness, lasciviousness means unbridled or unrestrained lusts. With, with this, an appetite or a hunger for the lust of the flesh, which can never be satisfied. That's coupled with that appetite for the things, that can't, for the things of flesh that can't be satisfied and has no shame about it, has no blush about it. They have no care. I want to do this. I don't care how vile it is, and I don't care what you think about it. That's lasciviousness. That's what it means. So it would be someone doing any kind of vile, lustful sin they desire without any care whatsoever for themselves or for anybody else. Lasciviousness. So we see this first cluster we come across, and it's that sensual fruit. And then we come to another cluster of fruit of the flesh, and it's this fruit. Superstitious is what I've titled it. Superstitious fruit. Or we could say spiritual fleshly fruits. Not real spiritual fruit, all right, but fleshly spiritual fruit. Because these types of sins are considered more spiritual in its description, at least in its nature, all right, at least that way. Because they deal with the spiritual realm of things. Look again at verse number 20. And it's these two we're going to look at in this cluster of superstitious fruit. Uh, idolatry and witchcraft. Now, idolatry, this is simple. It's the worship of false gods. Now, some would think this would be, uh, would not be rather, would not be the fruit of the flesh, but make no mistake about it when it comes to idolatry. Idolatry, idols, has its roots in our flesh because idolatry is nothing but flesh putting on a form of religion. You see, it's the unsaved, unregenerate, unregenerate heart that will make an idol from, uh, from wood or stone or any other tangible object. And then that unregenerate man or woman will fall down at what he or she created and worship it because it's his idea or her idea, his or her doing. This is nothing but religious idolatry that he or she has produced and done. But they do this, why? out of their own flesh, out of their own imaginations. They do this, why? In order to try to satisfy some kind of longing, try to satisfy really that spiritual void that is in every, every uh, life of every individual. But no idol ever created or ever could be created can ever fill that void. Only, only God can. Only Jesus, only the Spirit can do that. The true and living God can fill that void as in every, inside of every human being, but man in his fallen flesh will construct an idol and worship it to try to fill that void. It comes from their flesh. All right, what's another one? What's another superstitious or spiritual fleshly fruit, if you will? All right, here's the second one. Witchcraft. Witchcraft. Now, the Greek word here for, for this is pharmakia, and it means sorcery. But as you think of the Greek word pharmakia, what English word comes to mind? Pharmacy, <laughs> that's right. And uh, what do you get at, at the pharmacy? 
drugs. That's right. So uh, understand, uh, when you go to a pharmacy, you are prescribed legal drugs. So I guess your pharmacist is a legal drug dealer. All right. But anyway, do not tell your pharmacist your preacher said that, okay? But, uh, but that's, what, that's where the word comes from, all right? That's where it comes from. But when you're thinking of the context of the fruit of the flesh here, and you're thinking of witchcraft and sorcery, did you know that in witchcraft and in sorcery, the witch, whoever does the sorcery-fying of the things, is that a word? No, just made it up. All right. Uh, but whenever they're doing these type of things, did you know in order to accomplish their goals or their aim to put someone in a trance or to get someone to uh, have the perceived reality they're trying to give them, you know what they do? They say, here, drink this. Here, smoke this. Here, take this. They give them drugs or some kind of psychedelic. That's what they, that's what they do. That's what they do. Uh, that's what the witch would do in order to accomplish their, their goal or perceived effect to make them in a, a, produce in a fake reality for that individual. That's what, they, that's what they do. And if you've ever been around family, friends, uh, with, with uh, regards to, to drugs, you know what I'm talking about because that individual does things. It would seem out of the ordinary. Uh, talks out of their head. See things that are not there, hallucinate, make up a fake reality. And even people, they do these things to escape reality or escape, escape life. But this type of living, listen, is part of walking in the flesh. It's part of walking in the flesh. It's fruit of it. It's fruit of it. So we see the, the sensual cluster of fruit. We see, the, we see the superstitious cluster of fruit. And then we'll see this one. I want to see, lastly, the social cluster of fruit that's produced by walking in, in the flesh. That's found, again, in verse 20 through 21. Uh, it starts with this one, the third word at verse number 20, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such and such like. So the first order we come across in this cluster of social fruit is this one, number one, hatred. Hatred. Now, this word doesn't need much defining, for we know what hatred is, but it is where someone will have hostility towards another for one reason or, or another. You may hate somebody because they drive a Chevy, and though that may be founded on some grounds, all right, but I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But uh, if you drive a Chevy, I pray for you. But no, um, where's my, my friend's not here. That we joke back and forth on that. That's all right. Uh, but no, one reason or another, you hate someone. We know, what hatred, we know what hatred is. But this word hatred, understand, is the complete opposite, complete opposite of what we have been commanded to do as believers by our Savior, and that is to love. Complete opposite. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples one day in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 through 44. You have heard it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy, but I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Jesus commands us and tells us to love, yes, even those that don't love us back, even those that would hate us. But if we hate them, that's just a fruit of us operating in the flesh. 
So hatred. And then we see the next word, variance. Now what in the world is this? What is variance? This is a word we don't use often today, but it means this. It means contention, strife, or to be quarrelsome. Always contrary, right? But it has the idea of a rivalry. And uh, who here, you had a, a rival in, in high school? Anybody have a, a rivalry? I went to East, and so we were against everybody in Henderson County. All right, It wasn't just West, North. It was all of them, including Hendersonville. We, we, we hated everybody. All right, But anyway, we all, we had, they're all our rivals. But we have rivals. We know what that means. But when you played your rival in, your, in football, baseball, basketball, volleyball, whatever, when you played your rival, did you want to beat them or did you want to crush them? Which one? You wanted to crush them, right? You didn't want just, just to win. I mean, you don't want just to win. You want them to go home bleeding and crying to mama. That's what you want. Be honest now, bunch of sinners. I know that's what you wanted, right? Because I was the same way. <laughs> I wanted to crush them. Well, that's the meaning here. That's the variance uh, part of, of stuff here. We wanted to crush them. That's what it's indicating here. And by the way, that's what hatred leads to. I hate them so much. I don't want just to beat them. I want to crush them. That's what you want. I don't want them to die just yet. That's towards the end of the fruit. But I want them to really feel the pain. That's, that's the variance. And then... The next word we see is emulations. Now, again, it's another word we don't use a lot. But what is this? Well, the Greek word here is zealos, all right, zealos. And it's where we get our word zeal from. But in the context of this portion of Scripture, it has a more negative meaning. Now, zeal can be good, can it not? Uh, having a zeal for God, is that a good thing? Yes or no? Absolutely, absolutely. But in here, in this, con- in this context, it has a negative connotation, negative meaning. Negative here. And it's more along the lines of this. Jealousy. Uh, Meaning you're zealous about your jealousy that someone got the promotion you wanted. Hmm. You don't just not like that. Not just a little disappointed. No, no. You're horrendously jealous. You're zealously jealous that someone got more attention or praise than you thought you deserved. You're zealously jealous that someone has a life you think you ought to have. You're zealously jealous that, you fill in the blank, right? You get the idea that this emulation is trying to paint. But this is jealousy that can lead one to obtain resentment, animosity, bitterness, or more in their life. And, of course, these sins, these sins have uh, become roots in people's lives more so even than others. And it's from those roots of bitterness and resentment can spring up all kind of different fruit as well. Where did that come from, though? Where did all that come from? Was well, that emulation, that zealous jealousy that the person had. Then it leads to this one, wrath. Now, what is wrath? Does that mean just mad? Uh, that's putting it lightly. Wrath goes much further than just being mad. Listen, wrath is a hot anger. It's where you get so mad, so fast, so quick that you go from a hundred to, or you go from zero to a hundred, and it's a matter of seconds. And you blow your top. You begin to yell, scream, and pitch a fit. And that's how it's manifested in your wrath. So hot-headed, so bad-tempered, in such a way, it's loud outbursts of rage, yelling, screaming, that kind of thing. 
I did all that for emphasis, by the way. All right. Uh, But that's the wrath. And I know we've all seen that. Maybe, maybe it's been part, some fruit we've, we've, we've had in our own life before. I know it has for me. Wrath is such a dangerous thing because it can come so quickly. And as quick as it comes, it leaves just as fast, at least for that individual. But in its pathway of wrath, it can leave some very scorched earth and scarred minds. All right, Because remember, it's, remember it's, a, it's a hot anger. But it can leave some scorched and scarred memories on the minds of others. And by the way, they're not so quick to forget those wrathful moments that's produced in the flesh. Not, not talking about a righteous anger. No, no, no. Wrathful anger is not righteous whatsoever. Fleshly, fleshly wrath is not, is not righteous at all. But those, those memories that are, that are scorched and scarred memories on the minds of others, they're not quick to forget. And usually it's the minds of those we love the most, our spouses, our children, family, our friends. But this is just a simple mark, this wrath. It's not a simple mark, it's a horrendous mark. But it's a mark that we'll be walking in the flesh and not the spirit. But how do you combat that? You'd say, Pastor, look, I hear what you're saying and I struggle with that. It even happened later, or earlier today and I hate it. How do I, how do I combat that? Verse 16, walk in the spirit. You will combat it. What's another one? We've got to hurry. Not only wrath, we see strife. Again, this stems from the fruit of jealousy. Uh, but it carries with it a desire. But a desire for this is really a desire for self. This strife is a desire for self, to put oneself forward, to put oneself in front of another. So this strife would be with the intention of self-seeking or selfish ambition. It's like climbing the ladder, so to speak. You're stepping on the hands and heads of everybody else underneath you. That's what you would do. You will start strife. But it sounds very prideful, does it not? That's because it is. The Bible says this in Proverbs 13, 10, Only by pride cometh contention. Another word for strife. It's very prideful. What else we see? Strife. Then we see seditions. Uh, This is simply this. Divisions. Listen, someone who causes divisions understands something. I don't care how good of Christianese they speak. They ain't spiritual. Amen. All right. So don't give in to them. Don't listen to them. Someone that causes division is not a spiritual person. They are very much a carnal, fleshly person. Just as in the case, in the overall context of the book of Galatians, as these false teachers were coming, these Judaizers were coming, spreading their false teaching and causing division. That's what they were doing. They were causing seditions. It's a work of the flesh, not of the spirit. I don't care how spiritual they were speaking. I don't care how many verses they were quoting from the Old Testament. They were causing division among God's people, and that was wrong. There's a mark and work of the flesh. And listen, those type of individuals that cause division, here's what you should do. You ready? Romans 16, verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren. He says, I beg you. Listen to me, please, brothers, sisters in Christ. Brethren, I beg you. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned and avoid them. So we see seditions. And then we see heresies. Now, this is simple. We know what heresies would be. It would be false teachings. 
And, but where do they stem from? Where does false teaching stem from? Well, it definitely does not stem from the Bible. It does not stem from the, someone walking in the Spirit. Again, I don't care how spiritual they may sound or how good their Christianese is. I don't care how many verses they can quote. If it's wrong, it's wrong. All right? Thank you. Okay. It's wrong. It's wrong. But heresies is simply false teaching, but it stems from our fallen flesh, from sinful man. It's, again, very much something that was going on in the area of Galatia with the Judaizers. And then this one, envyings. Now, envyings here is closely related to jealousy, but listen, listen, with a twist, where jealousy desires to have what someone else has. You say, man, that guy has an amazing bass boat. Oh, I would like to have that. <clears throat> and then you walk away. That's jealousy. But envy is a little bit different. You see, jealousy desires to have what someone else has. Envy desires that person to be without it completely. You may not get it, but they ain't going to have it either. That's envy. If I can't have it, neither can you. That's envy. And listen, that's very, it can be very malicious and very venomous. Just downright, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this right here is downright, all of it is, but this one, downright wicked. Because it can put a smile on its face. But as soon as you turn away and walk, turn and walk away, stabbed, shot. Not literally, you know what I'm talking about, all right? Figuratively, in the back. Because they're envy. They can't have it. You can't either. That's envy. But it's another fruit of the flesh. What else we see? All right. Murders. Now, again, this really has uh, no, no need of explanation. We know what murder is. We know what it means for someone to take another's life. We know what murder is. Did you know this about murder, though? That it was the first sin, at least recorded for us, uh, at least after the fall of man in the garden. Genesis chapter 4, verse number 8, And Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against, his, against Abel, his brother, and slew him. It's interesting that <clears throat> as you consider these uh, lists of uh, fruit of the flesh, this, this murder is really it's kind of the capstone. I know we're going to look at a couple more, but I probably could put these other two in a, a different uh, cluster, but probably that first cluster but it's kind of, murder is kind of a capstone with all these works of the flesh. But do you know how, how uh, Cain got to this point where he would kill his own flesh and blood, kill his own brother? Do you know how he got to this point? Read verse number 20 here. Look at it. Verse number 20. Starting with that uh, third word, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath. I mean, didn't God say, why are you so wroth? Why are you so mad? Why are you so angry? Wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders. That's how he got to that point right there. Last two quickly. Drunkenness. We know what this is. This is intoxication. It's an overindulgence of alcohol. And this leads to all kinds of horrendous actions and uh, fleshly fruit, all kinds of bad decisions, bad ideas, and listen, can lead to very terrible consequences. And even though our society is very tolerant of drunkenness, we should not give one thought to this destructive fruit of 
the flesh. Not one thought. I'll say amen myself. Amen, preacher. Thank you. All right. Not one thought. Listen, if you never start it, you're never to stop it. I've had to help people over the years. I'm young, man. But I've helped people over the years with this. They've seen the destructiveness of it. It leads to one thing after another. It's like a snowball effect and they can't stop it. But listen, if you never start, you don't have to stop. Drunkenness. Just stay away from it. Stay away from drinking at all. Completely. And then revelings. Now what is this? What is revelings? All right. As I looked this up, I came across an author that talked about reveling. And I'm just going to read what he said here. He said it's a nocturnal, or at night, nocturnal riotous procession of half-drunken and felicitous fellows who after supper parade through the streets with torches and music in honor of Bacchus or some other deity. Now Bacchus, by the way, was the unrestrained Roman god of wine and religious ecstasy and frenzied creativity. The Romans believed that Bacchus inspired his worshipers in their drunken state, freeing them to think and act in new ways. Craziness. Sounds like witchcraft. Uh, but it goes on to say this, the revelers would sing and play before houses of male and female friends, hence used generally of feasts and drinking parties that are protracted till late at night and indulge in revelry. So basically what revelings are is a simply a drunken parties. That's what it is. And on a bigger stage, it would be like the drunken festivals that would take place around the world, such as what came to my, came to my mind as I was uh, looking up this word and, and doing a more deeper dive into it. First thing that came to my mind was Mardi Gras. I mean, everybody knows what that is, right? You don't go to church Mardi Gras, all right? No, people don't do that. They go there for one reason, one reason only, to revel the things the world has to offer. But all this, as I think about it and as I read it, all of it sounds pretty terrible, doesn't it? Because it is. <laughs> it is. Now, that's not the exhaustive list of what our flesh can produce, but it's a nasty list nonetheless. And Paul went on to say, went on to say this again in verse number 21, and such like. There's many more. These things he listed here for us and for the Galatians, maybe the Galatians were doing them, going through them, and just going through the motions, and this is the, the, the fruit of their flesh they are producing, but what he tell them to do, how to combat it, how do you not do this? Verse 16, circle it, memorize it, live it. Look at it. This I say then, listen, walk in the Spirit, ye shall not fulfill the lusts. Of the flesh. That's the answer. You don't want no rotten fruit, nasty, disgusting fruit of the flesh? That's your answer. I know sometimes easier said than done. I get it, because there's always a conflict, but that's still the answer nonetheless. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh, and therefore won't have the fruit of it. 